grade six, my friends nicknamed me the counselor. Initially, it was only my closest friends that called me that. I remember being surprised when girls I hadn't even hung out with before wanted to talk to me at recess. Usually, they just wanted to share with me about a boy that they liked. But somewhere along the way, they had heard that I was called counselor. And I suppose that label helped them know that I was someone safe that they could talk to. As I look back, it is still extremely interesting to me how a label spoken by some 12-year-old girls influenced not only how they thought about me, but how I thought about myself. And it probably influenced some of the decisions I made in regards to schooling that I would take later on. Has anyone ever called you something that influenced you that much? The intro video that we've been showing before each of the sermons, it ends with these lines. God is calling you by your true name. This is where true identity begins. This is where freedom is found. This summer, during our sermon series called The Real You, you've heard that what God calls you is actually who you really are. Each week, we've been looking at various characters of scripture. We've been examining statements on identity, statements that are true universally for all Christians. We've covered Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Ruth, John the Baptist, Esther. Well, today we're going to return to the New Testament. I wonder if today's character will actually come to your mind if I simply say a few things that she's been called. Prostitute, disciple, saint, feminist, apostle to the apostles, wife of Jesus. Over the years, she's received many labels, and we label others all the time, don't we? Because it just helps us to compartmentalize behaviors and situations, and labels are certainly hard to shake once they've been decided upon. In your opinion, who was Mary Magdalene? And has what others have thought about her or what they've said about her actually given you an accurate image of who she really was? Well, today, we're going to take a closer look. Mary Magdalene. The word Magdalene always follows her first name, Mary. And that makes it easier to know which Mary is being talked about because a quarter of all the Palestinian Jewish women were all called Mary. And frankly, it's just a little difficult to keep them all straight. She was called Mary Magdalene, not because her last name was Magdalene, but because her birthplace was Magdala. So just like we say Jesus, the Nazarene, we could say Mary, the Magdalene. In her day, Magdala was well-populated. It was a wealthy fishing town just off the sea of the coast of Galilee. And about 60 years after she had lived there, in the first Jewish-Roman war, the Romans seized the city, and it was never reestablished. So it was just covered by layers of soil. And it wasn't until recently that archaeological excavations have actually uncovered and exposed this large portion of the first century Magdala. So if you travel now to the northern district of Israel, you can actually visit the traditional site of Magdala and see it as it is now known as the modern town Migdal. Many preachers, writers, and artists have actually connected Mary Magdalene in the story um, in Luke chapter 7 about the unnamed sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet with oil. And she's been labeled the repentant prostitute. 
In the rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, Mary Magdalene sings these words. I don't know how to love him. He's just a man. I've had so many men before. I want him so. I love him so. And today there are several organizations called the Magdalene Houses. And they're for young women who have been struggling with addiction or are rescued from trafficking. In the Gnostic writings, Mary Magdalene was referred to as the companion of Jesus. And it was Dan Brown who wrote the Da Vinci's Code in 2003, and he called her Jesus' wife, the mother of his children. So there's many theories, many stories, but who was she really? So my encouragement to you is to take time, read through Luke chapter 7 about the sinner who anointed Jesus with oil, but then continue on into Luke chapter 8. Because yes, Mary Magdalene was mentioned but nothing actually connects the two to be one and the same. And in John chapter 12, there's another account of a Mary who anoints Jesus, but that time was right before his crucifixion. And that was Mary of Bethany, the sister to Martha and to Lazarus. It was not Mary Magdalene. So short answer, people have mixed up the Marys, mixed up the stories. There is no biblical evidence that Mary Magdalene ever sold herself. And there is no evidence in the Bible anywhere that says Jesus Christ ever married. So she certainly wasn't his wife. So let's begin today. We're going to clear up those errors and any slander that has been caused to her name. Mary Magdalene. She's only mentioned about a dozen times in the first four books of the New Testament. The mentionings are minimal, but we can learn quite a bit about who she really was and what actually makes her memorable. As I already said, she's mentioned in Luke chapter 8. So early on in Jesus' ministry, he was traveling from town to town. He was preaching. Scripture says he was accompanied by the 12 disciples and by some women. Other rabbis in that day, they refused to teach women. They saw women as inferior. But Jesus, he was different. Women are safe with Jesus. He freely welcomed women and he even welcomed their service. See, in Luke 8, 3, it says these women were helping to support them out of their own means. So the women included are Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna, each one likely prominent and wealthy. And they were giving out of their own finances to help provide for Jesus during his first three years of ministry. Mary Magdalene is often mentioned with other women, but her name is always listed first. Earlier this summer, I was just explaining to my kids, when you look at a movie poster and the celebrities that are shown up front, those are the ones that are most famous. So what was Mary Magdalene so well known for? Well, I suggest to you, it was her devotion. Except for Jesus' own mother, who was also named Mary, There's no other woman who superseded Mary Magdalene in her devotion for Jesus Christ. Mark 15, 40, it records that Mary Magdalene, she refused to leave Jesus Christ's side when he was dying on the cross. Matthew 27, 61, it records that she saw his dead body being put into the grave. And Matthew 28, verse 1, it records her present again at the empty tomb. Well, what prompted this kind of devotion? 
So look again at how the writer introduces her in Luke. He says, she was one of the women who had been healed of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, the Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Seven demons. I I can't even imagine that kind of torture. Mary once lived in bondage to demonic influence, and then she encountered Jesus Christ. Throughout Jesus' ministry on earth, we read that he taught, he healed the sick, and he freed people from demons. Exorcism was just one of his normal duties. For example, Luke 4, 33. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and they said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. Now there's another account of Jesus casting out a demon just a few chapters over. And you can find it in Luke 11. Starting at verse 14, there were some who were accusing him and saying that Jesus was actually using the power to cast out demons that was coming to him from the devil. Jesus defends his ministry. Luke eleven seventeen, he says, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. So any house divided against itself will fall. Luke eleven eighteen, he says, I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Luke eleven twenty, 20, but I drive out demons by the finger of God. From these few verses, we learn that Beelzebub, simply another name for the devil, and that demons, demons are ruled by the devil. And Jesus uses this language of competing kingdoms and houses, and the devil is the ruler of one of these kingdoms. And one commentary described it this way. See, Jesus positions the work of exorcism within this larger matrix of the struggle between the dominion of Satan and the dominion of God. But Jesus is the one who's operating with divine power, the stronger power. And Jesus continues then to teach the crowd saying in Luke eleven twenty four, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house that I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. And then it goes. And it takes seven other spirits, more wicked than itself. And they go in and they live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. When demons are mentioned in scripture, they're usually associated with a mental or a physical disorder. And we aren't told exactly how these seven demons impacted Mary Magdalene. But what we're told here is that Jesus is explaining that if you have multiple demons, it is horrific. So I think it's safe to assume that Mary Magdalene, she was trapped. She was suffering. And it wasn't until Jesus freed her that she was, had any relief from this distressing existence. Mary Magdalene was freed I know that there are some who are listening here today who are suffering the same kind of spiritual bondage that Mary Magdalene did. And you might be wondering, is that same freedom actually available for me? 
I assure you, yes, it is. That same divine power is alive and well, and it is available to you through prayer. Here at Sanctus Church, Pastor Natalie oversees restoration prayer ministry. I encourage you, take a look on our website for more information about that. Now, I admit, that's a ministry I haven't been very much involved with. And if I had, I would probably have some pretty interesting stories to share with you right now. So instead, I'm going to actually just turn it back to you and say, look inside. I want to ask you this question. How free do you feel to be you? One blogger wrote, freedom is the cry of every man and woman, boy and girl. What kind of freedom are we crying out for? The dictionary defines freedom as the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants. Free to be me. Isn't that what we all want? Mick Jagger wrote these lyrics in the song, I'm free, because I'm free to do what I want any old time, and I'm free to be who I choose any old time. But I believe when we think we have what our culture calls freedom, there is something holding us back. There's a battle in your mind, or maybe it's labels or judgments from your past, an abusive relationship, an addiction, maybe a debt too large to repay. The appearances of the prisons, they vary, but the root cause is the same. The Bible calls it sin. Your own sin or maybe someone else's sin. See, one disobedient act will lead to another. And at first, the temptation maybe only comes once a month. But once you give in, it's like feeding a fire and it just needs to be fed again. So the next time, the temptation may return after two weeks. And if you give in again, it'll return after a week, then after a day, and then you are bound because sin enslaves. Now, in contrast, Jesus Christ spoke these words John 8, 34, he says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Bible's definition of freedom is different from the dictionary or from how our culture defines freedom. In the Greek, the word free means to liberate or to be exempt from liability. So if you need to be freed from something, that means that you have been imprisoned by something. You are confined. Jesus tells every single individual that you start out under the bondage of sin. You're imprisoned by the impulses of sin. Sin was your ruler, and it did hold you captive right up until you became a child of God. True freedom is what a child of God experiences because then your father is looking after all things. As a parent, I think about how easy my kids have it. They don't have to worry about planning meals, paying bills, or thinking about how to look after aging parents. They live free. You know, it's like that for us when we just let God be our father. The moment you acknowledge that you can't flee your inward condition and you let Jesus in, 
something beautiful happens. You get a new master. God gives you a new nature. And more importantly, he then fills you with his Holy Spirit. So now you are no longer under control of your sinful nature. You've been set free. Paul sums it up so well. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So because the Holy Spirit lives in you, you are free. Well, why then do so many of us live as if we weren't? You know, years ago, I had the privilege of traveling with a team from this church to go to see our global partner in India. And you may have recently heard that the leader of that ministry, Smita Singh, she passed away. It is a loss that she's not there anymore. Samita was the director of aftercare at multiple homes for girls who had been rescued from human trafficking. When I visited, I still clearly remember this amazing opportunity that I had where I got to sit with this group of girls and I led them through a devotional. And the girls who had been in the home only recently, they wouldn't make eye contact. They, they, they had their heads down, their posture was closed, and their faces were just so full of sadness and pain. But the girls who had lived at the Mahima home for multiple years They smiled, they giggled, and they had great joy trying to teach me how to dance. See, those girls had been there for years, and they heard that their lives had value, and they didn't feel trapped by the pain of their past. And it was so clearly different, or so easy, I mean, to see the difference between the girls who knew what freedom really felt like. You see, they were all free, but some of them We're not enjoying it because they just didn't know they had it. And it is the same for so many of us who are Christians today. See, Jesus Christ has freed us all, but we're not enjoying it because we just don't know we have freedom. You might be asking, well, what has Christ freed me from? You're freed from the penalty of sin. Romans 6, 23 is so clear. It says the wages of sin is death. The wages, the penalty, the punishment of sin is death. And Romans 3, 23 says all of us have sinned. Outside of Christ, we have an eternal death sentence. This is the liability of our sin. But the gospel message is this, that Jesus Christ, the one who was without sin, he paid the penalty for all sin when he died on the cross. In Romans 10, 9, it just can't be any clearer than this. It says, if you just confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He literally shifts your eternal destination. You are now free from having to pay the penalty of your own sin. You're also free from the guilt and the shame of sin. Have you ever felt those feelings of guilt and shame for the things that you've done? Just wishing that you could take it back, never do it again. Those feelings are actually weapons that the enemy continues to try to use to show you that you're a failure. You know, I can think back to times in my life when I was living what some call freedom 
Because yeah, I was simply doing as I wanted and I was saying as I wanted and I wasn't taking time to think about how my words or my actions would actually impact someone else or how it would make them feel. And out of anger, out of self-interest, I have manipulated people and situations. And I confess to you, there have been moments when I've lost control because I was doing as I wanted. And in those moments, I didn't feel freedom. And I can tell you, when I've released my rage on my children and I look into their faces, I know they did not feel freedom. The enemy likes to remind me of those moments saying, you're a bad mom. Look how you've messed up again. But I'm not going to let his words control me. So I'll rush to the person that I've hurt and I'll say, I'm sorry. And I'll say, I'm sorry to God because the good news is actually found in Jesus' words. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and he will then purify us from all of our unrighteousness. If you are forgiven, you are forgiven completely and totally. So sin, shame, and guilt All of it is dealt with when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Sin is not your master. So don't let it rule you. Then you don't have to carry that burden of shame or guilt anymore. Because you are forgiven. And so you are truly free indeed. And when you understand what Christ has freed you from... Well, then it sets this stage for you to live in what Christ has freed you to. Well, what has Christ freed you to? He's freed you to live life abundant. Freedom is not what our culture tells us it is. Freedom is not my deciding from the urges and the longings of my sinful nature to do what I want, when I want to do it, or how I want to do it, or with whom I want to do it. According to the Bible, that is bondage. But true freedom is living as Jesus lived because Jesus Christ was the freest human who ever lived. Jesus claims, John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So one of the reasons it is so important to understand the freedom that a child of God has is because it actually increases your capacity to live And to live your days with gratitude and to experience true joy and true peace. And you don't have to second guess your decisions if you would just trust that God guided you when you made them. So secondly, life to the full means you get to have a personal relationship with the living God. The one who knows all things and holds all things together. The one who calls you by name. And third reason you're then free to do the will of God. There is freedom when you would surrender the need for control. Freedom is submitting. Submitting fully to the will of God, to the words of God, and to the work that God has called you to do. Now, unfortunately, that doesn't mean everything will completely be easy for you. I'll illustrate. One summer morning, I was up early and I was out walking. 
And I was praying. I was talking specifically with God about the work that he has called me to do. And I was telling him how I felt as a woman in ministry. And I was actually checking in with him. I was trying to get his okay because there had been other voices that were confusing me on this issue. And so I, I was checking in with him and I, I, I prayed. I said, God, can, can I lead someone to Christ? And, and God reassured me, yes. Yes, I can. And, and so I'm still walking, okay? And, and, and I said to him, God, can I be a leader in ministry? And that sense of reassurance, again, just a clear yes. So I was now, I was picking up the pace and I was walking more confidently. And I said, can I pastor both men and women? And can I provide them guidance as they walk with Christ? <laughs> yes, I can. And in that moment of reassurance, I looked up to heaven and from the sky, a bird pooped and crap landed on my face, on my shoulder, down my shirt. And I, I started stumbling around. I, I almost fell off the sidewalk. I, I completely had no confidence in my walk anymore. Just so disgusting. I, I, at that moment was so embarrassed. I'm looking around to see if anyone had seen it and trying to get it off as quick as possible. And I look up. And I say, hey, what was that? And there's this gentle voice that said, Anch, you are free to serve me in ministry. Use your gifts. But this side of heaven, crap is still going to tap you on the shoulder. And you can, as quickly as possible, wipe it off. Or you can leave it there. You can smear it around. Go hug someone. Pass it along to them. I hope you understand what I'm trying to make clear. A child of God is truly free. And then one day, Jesus Christ, he's going to return. And he's going to make that true freedom. It then will be completed. Romans 8, 21, the creation itself, it will be liberated from its bondage to decay and it will be brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Oh, how I look forward to that day. And in the here and now, child of God, would you walk in the freedom that you already have? Mary Magdalene, she received this kind of freedom when Christ healed her. And she lovingly responded with gratitude for what Jesus had done for her. Mary Magdalene was freed. Freed from the demonic, freed from the penalty of sin, free from the shame and the guilt of her past, free to live life to the full because Jesus called her by name and she followed him. She was free indeed. And gratitude is the action the response to that kind of freedom. The word gratitude means gratefulness. Gratitude is a thankful appreciation for what an individual has received. So Mary Magdalene, she was so thankful and she so greatly appreciated the freedom Jesus gave her that she gave up so much and she followed him along with the disciples on all of their journeys. And being a part of that inner circle was what led to this incredible encounter that we know about on Easter. Pastor John 
described it this way one time. Jesus was dead. And the women, including Mary Magdalene, they awoke early in the morning and they walked to the tomb and they were full of anxiety because they had been there when a huge stone was rolled into place and the tomb was sealed and it was guarded so that the disciples could not steal the body and claim resurrection. And as they walked, there's no faith, no hope, no love. But unbeknownst to them, God had dealt with every obstacle. The dilemma in front of the women was resolved far more than they could have ever dreamed. They arrived at the tomb, but Mary, she walks cautiously. Well, who moved the stone? The seal is broken. Where are the guards? Okay, it doesn't feel right. They were scared. Was this the wrong place, wrong time? But they resisted the urge to run. Thoughts rushed through their heads. Was it robbers? Religious authorities? The disciples? The one Mary grabs the other Mary's hand as they suddenly realize someone is at the tomb. More fear, terror, dread. The angel speaks. Don't be alarmed. Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified, he has risen. Well, later that same day, Mary Magdalene was alone. She's just not sure fully what to do. Was she crazy? Redemonized? Hallucinating? Maybe she's just overexhausted? Was it true? Her heart so wanted it to be, yes, she just didn't want to be hurt again. And then it happened. Mark 16, verse 9. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene's greatest claim is that she was the first witness to see the resurrected Jesus and the command that the risen Jesus gave to her, he gives to us all, go and tell. Mary Magdalene, a woman, was the first person to proclaim the resurrected Christ. That is what she should be known for. I smile at the countercultural nature of early Christianity. Jesus chose a woman to reveal to the men that he was alive. Mary Magdalene, now she had the proper response that all of us believers should have when we see the risen Lord. She recognized her master as he called her by name. This one-to-one -one intimacy of their encounter, it just reminds me about how individual the gospel is because here's the truth. Jesus Christ would have died even if it was only for just you. And appearing to Mary, Jesus begins to then fulfill his promise to show himself individually to each one who loves and obeys Jesus. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and I will show myself to him. This is truly something that children of God can be thankful for. He shows himself to us through his spirit, by his word and by his people. Harvard Medical School has conducted research and published various studies on the topic of gratitude. And one article that I read, it mentioned, with gratitude, people acknowledge the goodness in their lives. 
In the process, people usually recognize that the source of that goodness is at least partially outside of themselves. And as a result, gratitude helps people to connect to something larger than themselves. And here's the great thing. Gratitude is something you can successfully cultivate. I'll give you a few ways on how you can do that. Number one, pray. If you would thank God every single day for something, your relationship with him is just going to get deeper and deeper. And if you're watching this live and want to pray with someone, we have teams available. So just click that button and pray with someone to say, thank you, God. You could also thank others. I encourage you, write and then personally deliver a letter of gratitude to someone that you've just actually never properly thanked for his or for her kindness. Earlier this summer, we ran the marriage course online. And uh, more than once, we discussed how expressing appreciation to one another can significantly improve your relationship. So couples who would just take time to express gratitude and say thank you for things, it not only made them feel closer together, it also relieved anxiety when they just needed to talk about concerns they had in their relationship. And here at Sanctus, I oversee all of our connect groups. And I can tell you firsthand that a group that regularly thanks God and thanks each other for simply just coming together and being a part of a group, those are the groups that remain healthier and they have stronger connections than the groups that don't do that. Third thing, I'm going to call it count your blessings. Apply gratitude to your past. Just retrieve positive memories. Be thankful for elements of your childhood and the past blessings and think about those things often. You might even want to write them down. You could keep a gratitude journal and you can record the things that you are thankful for because this will actually help you just maintain a much more hopeful and optimistic attitude in life. So child of God, remember this. You are free. That is the label that you are called. True freedom is worth fighting for. And it is certainly worth being thankful for. Amen. God bless you. 